Hello, and welcome to After Office Hours, an undergraduate-run podcast out of the University of Massachusetts Amherst Department of Sociology, driven by our passion for advancing the practice of public sociology. On today's episode, we'll be hearing from Julia Ganley. Stay tuned to hear the conversation that Julia had with PhD student in the UMass Department of Sociology, Danielle McCarthy, exploring the issue of Black maternal mortality from the perspective of doctors, activists, and of course, mothers. Because no one should be dying giving birth. No one should be stressed out about giving birth. Um, No one should really think, oh my gosh, is this going to be the last time that I see my family? And no one should be stressed after that. I mean, having a kid is enough. Right, and it's supposed to be a time of, you know, creating new life and joy and growing your family. And, yeah, for that to instead be a time of fear and suffering. Yeah. I'm Julia Ganley, an undergraduate student at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, studying sociology. Last weekend was Mother's Day, and I wrote my mother a card, and I started thinking about how we treat mothers in our society. I've been researching maternal health, and I've learned that more often than we'd like to think, mothers risk their lives to carry and give birth to their children, and sometimes they lose their lives. We seem not to value mothers' health during pregnancy, childbirth, and their time as new parents. We don't devote as many resources to it as other countries, and we don't study it enough. This is definitely true of the phenomenon of maternal mortality. Before we go on, I want to take a second to recognize that not everyone who gives birth identifies as a woman. They are just as valid as parents, but I do use the terms woman and mother in this piece to mean people who give birth. Maternal mortality has been gaining media attention and public awareness thanks to activists who are pushing for law reform. Major outlets like ProPublica or the New York Times publishing articles and a handful of celebrities who have gone public with their stories. Take Serena Williams, for example, the Black American icon and tennis superstar. She is one of many American women who had a near-death experience after childbirth. In an episode of her HBO documentary show, she tells the story. What did you say when someone said that our little girl was gonna win Wimbledon in like 15, 20 years? Not if I'm still on tour. (laughs) (laughs) You're ridiculous. Everything went great, and I put a little makeup on so I could take pictures with the baby. And I just remember getting up, and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, I can't breathe. Like, I couldn't take a deep breath. I told the nurse, I can't breathe. I need a a mask. (laughs) So I put the the oxygen mask on, and um, I started coughing because I couldn't breathe. It hurt so bad. It hurt so bad. And then my stitches broke. And I remember I was in the bathroom with my mom and I was just crying and crying. And she was crying. She's like, you just got to breathe. And I was like, I can't, I can't breathe. And it was just really hard. After that, I remember being wheeled back to the operating room because they had to reopen my C-section and re-stitch it. And then they had to check for, you know, blood clots and everything. So they were doing all these different tests and everything was negative. I'm like, listen, 
I need you to run a CAT scan with dye because I have a pulmonary embolism in my lungs. I know it. I know I, I've had this before. I know my body. She was undoubtedly battling for her life, and I was terrified that she might die. But I was grateful that she had the wherewithal to speak up because she knew her body better than any of us. The enormity of everything was scary. But fortunately, because she advocated for herself, they ended up taking her in for CAT scan and they found the pulmonary embolism. Every day I was in the operating room for something different. You know, it was one thing after another and eventually I got another blood clot in my leg. So the decision was going in for a third surgery where they put a um, filter in me that blocks blood clots from being able to get up to my heart. I was so healthy, my pregnancy was so easy, like I didn't have any problems, but unfortunately, once I had the C-section, everything from there was pretty much a nightmare. Williams recovered from the ordeal to return to the tennis court and to mothering her daughter, Olympia, who will turn five this year. But a relatively high number of American women experience a similar nightmare, to borrow her word. A near-death experience or even death as a result of complications related to pregnancy and childbirth. This is maternal mortality. Death during pregnancy or within 42 days of the end of pregnancy of a cause related to pregnancy and childbirth. Maternal morbidity, which sounds confusingly similar in name, is any serious negative health effect related to pregnancy and childbirth. Women in the U.S. had the highest rate of maternal mortality compared to 10 other high-income countries in 2018. This includes places like Sweden, Norway, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Canada, the Netherlands, France, the U.K., and New Zealand. Our rate of maternal mortality is twice that of our neighbor Canada's. According to a report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, approximately 700 women die from pregnancy-related complications every year. What's shocking is how unevenly these deaths are distributed across racial and ethnic groups. For 2011 through 2015, the rate of maternal mortality for Black women was 3.3 times as high as that of white women. And the rate for Indigenous American women was 2.5 times that of white women. In the majority of these cases, women died during the postpartum period after giving birth. The leading causes were cardiovascular conditions, infection, and hemorrhage. And most sadly, in about three out of every five of these cases, the deaths were preventable. So for all the massive size of the medical institutions in this country and all our advanced technology, how are so many preventable deaths occurring? And why does our system have a particular blind spot when it comes to mothers of color? Today, I'm digging deeper into these racial and ethnic disparities in trying to get at this question of how social inequality becomes physically embodied so that it results in disease and even death. From what I can tell so far, it's a bit complicated. Researcher Robert A. Hahn helped me out by breaking down a concept that professionals in the field of public health use 
to think about inequality in health outcomes, from maternal mortality to viruses to cancer. That's social determinants of health. And they are what they sound like, causes of disease and health outcomes that originate in social systems. Under this large umbrella, there are multiple different levels of social determinants of health. For example, let's take racism as a fundamental cause of health in the U.S. Racism is a social system that has impacted society through a number of different mechanisms. From Jim Crow segregation laws to present-day discrimination in the labor market and much, much more. These different mechanisms, in turn, impact how important resources are distributed to people of different races. To give an example, researchers point to prenatal care or the lack of prenatal care as one cause of maternal mortality and morbidity. Researchers show that in 2018, only 63% of Indigenous women received prenatal health care in the first trimester of their pregnancy, which is an important time. Meanwhile, Slightly more, 67% of Black women did, along with 73% of Hispanic or Latina women, 82% of Asian women, and 83% of white women. Our laws, institutions, and other systems that distribute access to resources contribute to low rates of prenatal care among Black women, right? They report some of the common barriers to access as being health insurance status, lack of childcare, lack of transportation, mental health and stress, and of course the cost. In a study of the state of North Dakota, indigenous women were found to lack transportation in a lot of cases, or be too busy or unable to take time off from work, or lack childcare. While Indigenous women do have high rates of poverty, the authors of this study showed with statistical methods that even among women with the same socioeconomic status, white women are almost two times as likely as Indigenous women to receive prenatal care during their first trimester. While the shape of broader society matters a lot, sometimes discussions of social determinants of health stop there and leave out what actually happens within medical and healthcare settings. One popular definition of social determinants of health from the World Health Organization, actually, used to focus only on, quote, non-medical causes of disease, unquote. <clears throat> this definition left out social factors in the healthcare system itself, such as medical racism. So we need to head inside the hospital inside the OBGYN's office. We need to look at interactions with doctors, nurses, EMTs, and other healthcare workers. After all, even women who have access to all the best resources in their lives outside of the healthcare system aren't necessarily protected from serious health scares during pregnancy and childbirth, and Serena Williams' case is an example of this. When Williams herself recognized her pulmonary embolism before her healthcare team did, doctors and nurses dismissed her. It wasn't until after they had run other unnecessary tests and after Williams had insisted multiple times that they checked her lungs to find the blood clot that she knew would be there. 
this turns out to be a common theme in the stories of women of color experiencing maternal health complications, a theme that my guest and I will talk about later on. And now I invite you to listen in on a really fascinating conversation that I had with a PhD student and emerging researcher. I am so excited to be joined today by Danielle McCarthy. Yes, I'm a graduate student in the sociology department here at UMass, and I'm in my second, ending my second year in the program. And are you in a PhD program? Yes, PhD program. And what is your area of research that you're focusing on? So my research focuses on um, the intersections of race, gender, and maternal health, specifically focusing on maternal mortality and morbidity among Black and Indigenous women, um, also focusing on the medical institution as a social, social institution that does things in a social way. It's the best way that I can say it, yeah. Yeah, and I'll ask you more about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. What motivated you to study this in particular? So for me, it started when I was in undergrad still. I needed to find a internship for a public policy class that I was taking. And my aunt had just passed away unexpectedly. Once she passed, I started to get interested in black women's health just broadly. And then from there, I, one of my professor had connected me with an organization called Melanated Moms. I hit it off with the founder and from there, I kind of really started to learn about maternal health just really broadly. And then I started to learn about maternal health crises in terms of Black women and Indigenous women dying at mm-hmm. much higher rates. And so once I started to read more legislation, I started to become more interested in more structural determinants of health, I guess you can say. And so, i.e., that's why I started to look at the medical institution, specifically OBGYN profession. Yeah, that's pretty much how I got into that. Yeah. As you mentioned, obviously there are pretty stark inequalities in rates of um, maternal death and adverse health outcomes by race in the U.S. And just in general, a lot more people die in pregnancy and childbirth in the U.S. than in other similar countries, right? What would you say some of the major causes Mm. of you know, why so many black mothers are dying, basically, and Mm. indigenous mothers. Mm. I would say that a big part of it comes from, at least in my opinion, comes from the way that healthcare professionals understand race and gender and the intersection of race and gender. Mm. Because there are so there's like nuances within black maternal health, black maternal mortality. And so one of the more, I guess, obvious assumptions is that a large portion of the women that are dying are low income. They're Mm -hmm. low income, they don't have access to certain resources, Mm -hmm. which is another, that's a problematic way of thinking. One, because it's not that it's their fault that they have limited access to resources. It's more mm-hmm. so because of how we structure access to resources. One example can be like going to the welfare office and having to wait for hours and hours and hours and hours taking off work. There's a whole bunch of things that go along yeah. with that. But, but like I just read about transportation being one of the main barriers to people 
who are pregnant getting prenatal care. Yes. Like that sort of thing. Yes. Also in New Jersey, Arizona, there's probably, there's definitely other places, but those are just the two that uh, just came off the top of my head. Like there are maternity care deserts in which Mm -hmm. like literally having access to a hospital that has OBs or midwives or doulas, birthing staff in general, is very hard to get to. And then what happens when you finally get there and people understand you in a very particular way that is harmful to your health? We got a lot of near 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 cases of death and we got mm-hmm. a lot of death. And so there's there's that and then the part of where like it's actually not low income women that are predominantly dying. It's mm-hmm. actually middle class educated black women that are predominantly dying who are in like their 30s Mm -hmm. um and so at that point now it's not a means of economic resources now it's Mm -hmm. not a means of having adequate health insurance which are also things that contribute to it but now it's not a question of that so that at least for me that's that's a very clear indication that it's not access to resources necessarily it's not access to great healthcare professionals it's really what is going on within birthing practices in the U.S. that are making it so difficult for people to come out alive while having a child. And for me, it has a lot to do with social relations within medicine, how, how we talk about medicine, how we think about medicine, how we hold medicine accountable for things that they're pretty much responsible for like saying that calling something a social determinant of health automatically disengages um the medical field entirely from things that are influencing health like Mm -hmm. the actual definition quote unquote of social determinants of health is non-medical factors Mm. Well, what happens when it is medical factors that's determining my health, but it's not biological. Yeah. It's literal social interactions with healthcare providers that is causing me to have higher stress levels. And of course, now that there's more media produced on, you know, like surrounding maternal health, just in general, as you said, giving birth in the U.S. is very scary for anyone. But there's a lot of anxieties for black women giving birth now because they're like, okay, I could literally die giving birth. Like I can go in, my child can come out, but there's a high chance that I won't be able to come out. And so pregnancy is stressful in and of itself. And having that on top of that creates a whole, a whole nother level of stress that can leave you, you know, at a higher risk for hypertension, preeclampsia. I mean, very serious things while you're simply trying to give birth and so for me as I said one of the largest contributors is social relations and social understandings of black women and indigenous women like I was reading some some who was that some data from Arizona from their state um, public health department around tribal health like in, of indigenous people mm-hmm. and the the hospital huh, quote unquote hospitals that they have are grossly underfunded and it's like pulling teeth trying to get obstetricians to actually practice in Arizona and if they do they predominantly practice in like highly populated areas like Phoenix and 
when they are somewhere close to indigenous people a lot of indigenous women have talked about like literally not knowing what is happening with their body while they're pregnant and actually learning more about prenatal health pregnancy health postpartum health from waiting in the waiting room and reading magazines sort of a monopoly on information almost <laughs> yes right? or on yeah and maybe not enough public outreach and education yes. sort of interacting with patients in that way and just it, literally improving social relations like yeah if i come in and i'm seven months pregnant and my ob is just kind of like your blood pressure is a little high okay what like what does that mean and there was this other really horrifying statistic of like someone did interviews with recent graduates from harvard medicine and 50 percent of them believed that black people have higher pain tolerance so if those are new physicians who are literally being taught that you know black people can pretty much endure anything like which we know is not true that has nothing to do with biology and everything to do yeah. with like socialization and education yeah so a couple examples of how stereotypes and ideologies about race affect people's education and healthcare and the way that they interpret and perceive patients but <laughs> i think that some of it is cases who are describing symptoms or saying that there is an issue and maybe not being listened to or not having it followed up on in that way yep that's pretty much it i mean there's also so most maternal mortality cases actually occur during the postpartum period Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and like the value placed on women and on childbearing and pregnancy and kind of lack of value or investment and care in that yeah. I worked last summer a little bit on a paid family and medical leave policy in Massachusetts, but you know, in most of the country, the time that people can take off from work and continue to get paid after giving birth, mm-hmm. for example, is very, very little. Yes. <laughs> um, and factors like that, I imagine, would affect as well if we're talking about the postpartum, yep. postpartum period. Do you mainly use like historical methods for your research or what are your research strategies? Yeah, so right now I'm kind of on the tail end of doing historical analysis, but I would say I'm not necessarily married to any one method. There's a project in the works now to do an ethnographic study, which is an observational study of midwives today. So yeah, I've also been interested in focus groups talking to mothers, talking to physicians, talking to midwives, doulas, really anyone who's involved in the birthing process period. And I wanna make sure that I'm actually listening to the community that I'm like trying to help. And that I'm also listening to the community that I may take issue with. And not like on an individual level, I take issue with them more so on a structural level. When I tried to do a little bit of research into maternal mortality and the racial disparities there, you know, just in some of the social science and sociology databases, I was kind of surprised at 
how little I saw. Usually any like niche topic, you type into one of these databases and you can find articles on what seems to be the most like niche topic you've ever heard of. And there were a lot of articles about infant mortality or like child health outcomes from pregnancy and childbirth or disparities by race or gender, but it was mostly focused yeah, on the health outcomes for children and there wasn't as much about mothers. I This was just my observation based <laughs> on a search, but would you say that there is like a lack of research in this area that you have found? In the discipline of sociology, yes. But there's also a lack of just generally talking about race in sociology. And so typically I go to outside disciplines like African-American studies, public health also has a lot of stuff published on maternal health but even then sometimes they don't really talk about racial disparities Mm. or if they do they talk about racial disparities in a very particular way that more so shifts the onus on the individual rather than the structure and so a lot of things on like social determinants of health no one really defines what social is and so there's whole bunch of examples of social determinants of health but no one really has a developed theory a developed definition of what exactly social is and how it's determining health and so I think that that also contributes to the lack of literature and sociology because it's hard to say well no one cares about dying people because like that's that sounds like a really heartless thing to say but that was like what I felt kind of (laughs) looking at these articles I'm like so we care about the babies you know yeah like we care about children because they're like innocent or something right right? but it seems like there's not as much interest in the mothers you know yes I mean there's I'm trying to think of the year that this really became like a more popular topic in the media. The organization is called Black Mamas Matter, and they're a huge reason why legislation just passed the Momnibus Act. Also, this other huge piece of legislation that was recently passed regarding like protocols with hospitals and how they care for maternal health and mothers. But it really didn't start with academia, to be honest. It really started in the public with moms who were experiencing like these really horrible cases of like obstetric violence being discriminated against Mm -hmm. loved ones talking about how the person that died like they were just simply not heard in these different cases of like whether it be giving birth at a hospital being forced into having a c-section and so that could also be a reason why there's not much literature just because like it didn't start with academia so yeah, but now you're helping to <laughs> fill that gap. Putting in, you putting will. <laughs> in two cents. Yeah. So last question, what, you know, if you imagine yourself maybe 10 years in the future or something, <laughs> what impact do you hope that your research could have on society? Basically, that preventable maternal death doesn't happen. And that's not just for black women. That's for literally any birthing person. That's really where I want my impact to be and stemming off of that I really want the medical institution to recognize that it is a social institution Mm. and therefore it has social practices it has social norms it has social ideologies that aren't rooted in what we call science like it's not 
biological what you're observing is not biological it could be a result of environmental things it could be a result of cultural things and I guess kind of breaking the idea that only valid or legitimate knowledge can come from either the ivory tower academia or like these highly professionalized organized groups like medicine like law and that there's knowledge in everyday practices and so if a woman or a birthing person is complaining about pain or not being heard that's not necessarily something that should be treated as we're going to wait until we see a study on that to actually accept that as being truth yeah i guess that's those are the three main goals yeah that very ambitious goals but I imagine that I'll be advocating for the exact same thing in about 10 years, 20 years, which is sad, but mm-hmm. also at some point, I'm very hopeful that if it's not my work, someone else's work, groups, organizations, whatever, can can really change that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well... I have so much to think about now. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And for being willing to share your thoughts on a bit of a range of things related to um, your area of expertise. Danielle's commitment and hope for the future give me hope. And so does the work of activists and everyday people speaking up about their experiences and researchers trying to capture those experiences and bring important information to decision makers. This summer, Danielle will be working with the Maternal Mortality and Morbidity Review Committee of Massachusetts. She'll be working on laws to prevent maternal deaths, producing articles and research, and presenting to physicians, hospitals, and healthcare providers. In the future, she hopes to work directly with those healthcare professionals. In one of the studies I mentioned earlier, The authors highlighted that there's a lot of room for impact in the training and education of providers. I don't know what I'm going to do with what I've learned about maternal health or how I can use it to make an impact. I have this feeling that I want to make a card for all the parents who have died and for all the ones who have survived harrowing pregnancies or postpartum health scares. I want to make a card with stickers on it and fill it with everything that they deserve. I have this feeling that I want to treat every mother like my own mother, and every day like it's Mother's Day. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of After Office Hours, an undergraduate-run podcast out of the University of Massachusetts Amherst Department of Sociology, driven by our passion for advancing the practice of public sociology. Our next episode is a two-parter, featuring conversations focused on the prevalence of institutional racism in two distinct contexts. The case of policing is unpacked by Kenzie Caputo, followed by a discussion between Lauren Terciano and Brett Ross on racial issues facing public schools. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you for our next episode.